You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once-daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. If you want more nuance, head over to patreon.com forward slash pantsuit politics support our sh- to support our show and enter the secret garden of bonus contents. We put out a additional episode every month for our $15 or more level supporters. And we do quarterly meetings for certain levels. You get weekly emails from us. We post on Patreon a lot. So if you just can't get enough of Pantsy Politics, or if you just want to support our show, because it takes a lot of time and energy and money to get the show going twice a week, every week, then head on over to Patreon. We appreciate every little bit. And this month's episode is going to be wine and wine, a little vino and a little getting some complaints off our chest. Patreon.com forward slash pantsuit. Painfully, we are discussing Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK. Today, we consider the violence hate wrought upon Charlottesville, the president's response, and our moral responsibilities at this moment in history. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Sarah, thank you for interviewing Mayor Harless while I was on vacation on Friday. I really enjoyed 
hearing from the two of you. And I loved your Paducah infomercial at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about the president's approach with North Korea and Venezuela in the pearls. In the suit, we're going to talk about the tragic events that unfolded in Charlottesville over the weekend. And in the heels, as always, we'll talk about what's on our minds outside of politics. So I was thinking about how I wanted to open the show after, you know, the threat of nuclear war, the domestic terror attack. And I decided the best I can come up with is Robert Mueller, please, please work faster. Here's what I've been thinking about that I want to make real clear at the top of this episode. Our promise is no shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Plenty does not mean unlimited or that we look for ways to find multiple sides to every argument and give Truth. them legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to be clear up front that, you know, there are things that we're going to talk about today where I don't think every position is legitimate. And I don't think that violates our promise to deliver on nuance. If you do, this episode might not be for you. That's okay. Right. Yeah, that's okay too. Because I think there are some, there are some, situations that, um, there is a, there is a strong moral line in the scene to be drawn. And we just happened to have stumbled upon three or four this week. It's been a week. I think that is really value defining for (sighs) individuals and for us as a country. And I think for our Congress Mm -hmm. and so lots to jump into. Well, let's start with foreign policy before we turn to domestic policy. And it's really difficult to know how to prioritize these issues. But uh, North Korea and the president have been escalating rhetoric in a conflict over North Korea's capacity for nuclear weapons that could potentially reach the United States. And as part of that escalation, the president promised, quote, fire and fury like the world has never seen. North Korea vowed to ignite. They liked fire, apparently, and vowed to ignite an enveloping fire of test missiles near Guam. I thought it might be helpful to say that Guam is a U.S. territory. It's the largest island in Micronesia. But to put that in perspective, it is 0.18 times the size of Rhode Island. So it is very small. About 162,000 people live there. If you are born in Guam, you are an American citizen. Guam was ceded to the United States by Spain during the Spanish-American War. So that's just a little, like, what are we talking about with Guam? That's why Guam has a governor, and some of the language around it is a little bit different. So the president had a phone call with Guam, told the governor that tourism is going to be amazing there and everything's going to be great, Mm. um, and has been talking with other world leaders as he continues to to say like basically it's 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 like when i say to my child in moments when i'm not doing parenting well if you look at me like that again you know i mean that's kind of where the president has taken this i you know there is a part of my personality that i am not particularly proud of that still really and does not enjoy sort of gray areas or transitions and You know, a part of my brain goes, yeah, let's just get it over with. Let's just call his bluff. This is why I'm not president right now. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is why you, this is, this is a dangerous human instinct to follow. Like, I get it. I get where he says this enough is enough. 
And I think that there will be a, a large amount of Americans who this, who his approach appeals to. And I guess that's the best nuance I can find right now. But like, we don't, I don't know why I need to say out loud that we don't want nuclear war. We don't, we don't want nuclear war. That's, that would be a bad thing for all of us. I told my, my husband was walking out the door one day. It's like sort of the peak exchange. And I said, are we going to have nuclear war? And he said, no, but if we do, it'll be over quickly. (laughs) And that's sort of the gallows humor we've all reached, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about how I don't go to bed at night worrying about nuclear war. I just don't. And I don't think that's because I believe that Trump won't do it. You know, I think it's more that I just accept that that if that happens, it is far beyond my control. That's exactly where I'm at. Like, I just can't be afraid of it because there's nothing I can freaking do. I voted the way I was, you know, I voted my conscience. I'm proud of my vote. But as my husband says often, elections have consequences. And I just feel so powerless in the face of this discussion and his, you know, just dedication to elevating this, to saying things that even his advisors don't know he's going to say and have advised him not to say. And I, I just don't know what to do except for continue to live my life and hope that North Korea is bluffing, I guess. And that the president's bluffing. Yeah. And that the president's bluffing. And that's a concerning proposition, too. If our president walks around saying things that he doesn't mean, that's not good. Mm-hmm. But I hope he doesn't mean some of the things that he's been saying. And it's there's a pattern. So with both North Korea and Venezuela, the threat of the United States uh, wielding the kind of power that the president's been referring to is harnessed by the leadership in those countries. I shouldn't even say leadership. The dictators in those countries use a power hungry nuclear hair trigger United States as a way to maintain their power, right? They tell their people, we, we have to stay on high alert. We must develop a nuclear arsenal. We must mm-hmm. develop ICBMs because look at the United States, this big bully over there. Yeah. I guess I just think aren't, isn't the president delivering gifts to Kim Jong-un and the leader of Venezuela. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, with, with North Korea, I mean, sort of the, the basic assumption we've all been functioning under is that he wants to stay in power, right? We all believe he wants to stay in power and he can't do that if we start blowing up his country. Right. But to engage like this and to keep, you know, to keep, Firing off. I, I don't know though. I, I, here's my question though. Are we functioning under that assumption when all of a sudden their technology has advanced way beyond what our intelligence told us what was as far as their capacity to launch missile missiles? Like, is that a safe assumption anymore when he, you know, it wasn't just words. They were working very hard to expand their capacity. They have done that. I mean, I guess that's the first thing maybe we should ask, and I'm not saying Trump's approach is correct, but, you know, has the playing field we were all assuming we were playing on changed? Because it seems like to me that it has. And I don't know. I think it's certainly changed in terms of leverage. Yeah. Uh, The potential of development of intercontinental ballistic missiles is quite different than the existence of those missiles. So I think that's changed. I think the question is... 
He wants power. And what exactly does that mean? And I think that part of it is a sense of equality with the United States. Mm -hmm. I think North Korea doesn't want to not be a superpower. If there is a big kids table, they I think North it. Korea wants to be there. Right. And, and they want to be there on their terms. And I hate what the, the dynasty in North Korea has done to the people of that country. There is a part of me that says, what is the American interest in solving that problem? Mm-hmm. What is the American interest in solving that problem? I look at Venezuela. I hate what Maduro is doing in his country. What is the United States interest there? I'm not sure. And, and I think that by continuing to intervene, this is one of the few spaces where I found some agreement with things that candidate Trump said yeah. about n- not being in endless wars where America doesn't have a clear interest. You know, this isn't Syria where people are being gassed. You know, we're not being flooded with North Korean refugees or Venezuelan refugees. You know, it's so. And I guess the thing, the thing is, look, you know, the reason we have to ask what our interests are in these areas of the world is not just because, you know, the the only reason the United States act, acts when there's sort of the oppression of people is when our interests are at stake. Or in theory, that's actually true. We only ask when our interests are at stake. But, you know, I know as moral ethical people, we want to think that there is a there is a line that gets crossed and then the world steps up and says no. Maybe not just the United States, and maybe that's really the conversation we're having is when, when everybody acknowledges, like, oh, my, oh, my God, we have to do something. But I just think, you know, it's also worth asking, will we make it any better? Even if we just are going to act, let's just create an alternate universe in, when, in which we act altruistically as the world's police officers to protect human rights abuses and the oppression of entire, you know, countries of people. Let's just assume that's a possibility, which I'm not even sure it is, but let's assume it is. Are we going to make it better? Are we going to, because we don't have really any good historical examples of us stepping up first altruistically or even at all and making it better. Like we're not going to help anything. Usually it's just going to create a vacuum or we're going to be there for a million years or, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And so that's the other thing. It's like, even if there were a military solution, what are the benefits to everyone, including the people of that country, of our military intervention? Because so often they're few and far between. I cannot articulate an upside to the people of North Korea of U.S. intervention in their yeah. country. Yeah. And I really can't for Venezuela. I know far less about that situation, but I I struggle with that. And the rest of the world is saying we need to do something about North Korea. But many of them are saying there is a political solution in North Korea. Angela Merkel said she doesn't see a military solution. A former advisor to Bill Clinton was interviewed on The Daily last week. It was an excellent discussion. And he said there is a political solution. There is not a military solution, but there is a political solution. And the more I learn about North Korea, the more solvable the nuclear problem seems to me, as long as we're willing to say, you know what? We're not going to tell you how to run your country. Right. And that's hard. That's hard. It's to do. really hard. It's super it is. hard. I like, I do. I want to tell him how to run his country. I want to tell him to say that this is 2017 and you don't get to be an oppressive dictator anymore. I, I want that to be true. I really do, but I don't think it is. That is, and- the, that's the fault of the Bush administration, right? Where 
some well-intended people, some not, but some well-intended people said it is, it's, it's this moment in history and everyone should be a democracy, but, but that's just not ever going to be. Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I wish it was. I wish it was hard choices. Everybody. That's the nuance of the situation that, and I, I guess that's the most offensive part of his, his bravado and Donald Trump's approach is that he acts like this is still, there are people in white hats and there are people in black hats and the white people, the ha, Freudian slip, the white hats have to be stronger and tougher and then everything will work out. And it's just so insulting to the complexity of the world we live in. We'll listen to this statement on Venezuela. Th- these are our president's words. We are all over the world and we have troops all over the world in places that are very, very far away. Venezuela is not very far away and the people are suffering and they are dying. We have many options for Venezuela, including a possible military option if necessary. Now, I don't mean to wordsmith everyone, but every sentence he utters demonstrates to me a complete lack of understanding of the situations that he is talking about. Mm. I like, you know, when everyone's like, you really have to, you know, you have to read the, I can't, I cannot read his, the transcripts of the things he says. Like my brain won't compute them. I can't do it. (laughs) I read them. I read them and feel committed to giving my children a strong vocabulary and a sense of intellectual curiosity. Well, and here's the thing though. I know it's, and I understand sort of the beef with wordsmithing him. Because when you do listen to him, or even if you read, you, it's, you can't, it's not that you don't, like the way he tries to express it, but often when I'm reading him, I get what he's trying to say. You know, I get his concerns. They're just not complex enough and they just don't exhibit an understanding of the fact that the world isn't that simple. I, I think there are two ways to take what you just said. Because I agree with you. And I think a lot of people, I mean, that's, that's the whole campaign, right? People saying, well, it sounds bad, but I know what he means. Yeah. And so one way to take that is, gosh, he's really a genius in distilling lots of information and, and putting it in terms that ordinary people can relate to. And the second way is he genuinely doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's pretty good at like singing with the radio enough to get through things. Yeah. And I think it's this a combination of both. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing though. I think what he's a genius at is he has a very simplistic understanding of it. He, he decides who the good guys and the bad guys are. Who's in the white hats, who in the black, who are in the black hats. He's always in the white hat. Spoiler alert. He can sort of, it's not that he's taking in the complexity and simplifying it, but he can sniff out enough to paint that picture. And then when he, he says it sort of in this every main way and very simplistically, and then the media says, you know, picks apart what he says, or we say, Oh my God, he sounds like an idiot. Then he can, what he's really good at is taking that and going, see, you knew what I was saying. They're just being elites. They're just being, they're deliberately misinterpreting me. And like, I think that's where he is. Like, I think that's where he really gets going is he, says it simplistically, and when everyone is like, oh my god, not only did you leave out verbs, but you're totally ignoring the complexity of the situation, he's like, see, they're, they, they don't want to ever give me a chance. They always misinterpret what I'm saying. Well, here's, here's advice that I give to people in management positions all the time. 
What people believe your intent is, is infinitely more important than what you actually say or do. Mm-hmm. And somehow early on, a large number of people became convinced that his intention is aligned with their intentions because they continue the, not to believe anything that he actually says or does. The reason they believe that is because they had to choose him because the other side was Hillary Clinton. I'm becoming increasingly convinced of this. I was with a friend over vacation who voted for Donald Trump, who now acknowledges like, oh, my God, he's such, he's so crazy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, would you vote for him again? He's like, I just didn't have any other choices. So, you know, you get to define that he's on your side because she's on the other side. So he has to be on your side. Right. But again, I don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> Um, well, let's so, compliment the other side. Just so you think I'm completely schizophrenic after we just spent an entire segment talking about Donald Trump's um, flaws and foibles, I'm going to compliment Donald Trump. I know. Um, I think that it is far past time that we declare the opiate crisis a um, national emergency. And I'm glad that he did that. And I think that's an important step. And that's about the extent of my compliment. I just wanted to put that on the record that I think that was an important first step and I'm glad he took it. Agreed. Well, I'd like to compliment the mayor of Charlottesville, Michael Signer. And I think this is probably more just kind of sending him good thoughts. Um, I, I think he is handling this as well as it can be handled. I would never want to be in his shoes. Yes, and so. I've watched him on TV and I think he's using this moment to say some things that he wants to say. And good for him and good for his city. And I hope he continues to be a strong leader. And that will take us into the suit where we're going to talk about what happened in his city and the president's response and where we go from here. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. 
You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So we're going to talk about Charlottesville. Probably the... You so you're so upbeat about it, Beth. I've had a hard time thinking about anything else, to be honest with you. So when I was on vacation in Canada, we had um, our own sort of Confederate flare up because we have clarified who can march in our Veterans Day parade, and there are so many emotions on both sides sides of this. I can't imagine when you take the emotions people have about Confederate symbols and then. What seems to be just a complete exploitation of that situation by white nationalist groups and Nazi groups and every other nasty white supremacy group you ha- can have and then put all this in this basically powder keg. How awful and scary it must have been on the streets of Charlottesville. The situation began, for those of you who maybe have heard the the worst of the news, but not all of it, because a Robert E. Lee statue was going to be removed from Emancipation Park. And a, a group of people who call themselves Proud Boys, this is a collective of pro-Trump alt-rightists, uh, put together a Unite the Right rally. And I read it where a commentator said that this was originally intended to attract a broad coalition of far right wing groups, but it became, quote, increasingly Nazified. And the photos coming out of Charlottesville, even before the terrible tragedy of someone driving a car into human beings, which we'll talk about in a second, the photos were horrific. Uh, the night before the rally, there was this march with people carrying torches and these images that are going to forever be part of our national history now. Um, and, and swastikas and weapons and people dressed as though they were going to battle. Yeah. That's what really bothers me about it. And I don't want to throw the leadership of Charlottesville or the police department under the bus, but there are reports. I read a report from ProPublica last night, um, from a reporter on the ground that, you know, 
My first question is why the police were not more proactive in separating the groups, because these alt-right groups came prepared to do violence. They were told to bring guns. They were told to bring sticks. They had their own homemade shields. So the the police stood by and from many reports I'm reading and let these interactions take place. I don't understand why when you see, look, I'm a card-carrying member of the ACLU. I understand the importance of the right to protest and the right to assemble. But when you have messages of people bringing shields and weapons, that's no longer a peaceful protest. And I'm not really sure. I mean, they called it off by noon, but by that point, they were already there. I don't understand the presence of this militia group who from New York, who by all accounts are doing more to break up the interactions between um, the anti-racist protesters and the alt-right groups. I'm just so confused as to sort of the breakdown in the process and the policing that led to this horrific event and why, you know, I told Nicholas, like, I'm just, you know, again, I'm not going to sound very much like a card care member of the ACLU, but I'm passing right into just ready to throw the book at these groups. I know that we're in America and everybody has a right to their opinion. But like, if you caught me at the right time this weekend, I would have been ready to go like solid into like Germany. It's illegal to wave a Nazi flag territory. I'm just done. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm just really done with it. I think the line between uh, speech and incitement of violence through speech was pretty clear. Very well you defined. Your own homemade <clears throat> shields. Jeez. Right. And I am frustrated by the conversation about free speech that seems to have become a reflex, Mm -hmm. especially from conservatives. Mm -hmm. Nothing that happened in Charlottesville had anything to do with free speech. It didn't. And while I'm getting up on my soapbox a little bit, let me say this too. All of the things that, that conservatives, even people I personally know reflexively say do not apply to Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Are you tired of identity politics? Fine. Does the left use words like Nazism and fascism um, in ways that make you feel personally offended over issues like tax reform and health care? Sure. None of that has anything to do with what happened in Charlottesville. Nothing. These are you cannot say that literal Nazis and Klan's people marching through streets carrying torches has a thing to do with our varying positions on welfare. It does not. And when you stand up for these people and when you start blaming, quote, the left or talking about the violent left, you are complicit in the degradation of our sense of collective humanity in this country. Like, stop. It is becoming so difficult for me to see a vision of the Republican Party that isn't exactly the worst caricature that, quote, the left has been using for a couple of years. Because if our reaction to this is anything other than, hell no, this has no place in the United States of America. I, I don't know what to say to you. I just don't. Sorry. Well, and that here's was a little my th- ranty. No, I totally obviously agree. And I think, you know, the the Republican leadership in Congress did a good job of going, no. I mean, I almost caught my almost compliment the other side was Ted Cruz, who put out an incredibly forceful, great statement on Charlottesville, by the way. Good job, Ted Cruz. But I, here's the only thing I'll push back a little bit on. I do think that the um conversation around political correctness is related to this because i think 
that culture is powerful. And during the 2016 election, our culture took a turn. Our culture decided that politically correctness is a joke and it's a problem. And the idea is that you can say racist things because the man that is currently our president stood up and said them and won anyway. And so I do think that that sort of I don't think that, you know, I'm not ready to blame all conservatives for that, obviously. But I do think that when you this this group, these groups are emboldened and they are emboldened for a reason. And it's because we all decided that politically correct is a problem. And that's that's a problem in America. And it's just suppressing people's free speech. And I'm sorry, it's not personally. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a good thing when our culture squashes any hint of racism. Even I would rather overcorrect because when we overcorrect the other way, this is what we get. And these people become emboldened and they say, you know what? I can walk, walk through the streets of Charlottesville for every, you know, newspaper photographer from here to China taking pictures of my face full on with torches and Nazi symbols. And I'm going to be just fine. And that is scary. And that is disgusting. And I, you know, I remember one time at one point and you know, I'm not sure that this does, this isn't a part of political correctness, but I remember sitting at a table with a family member and she said something and she said, well, my opinion can't be wrong. And I said, no, that's not true. There are some opinions that are wrong. Nazism is wrong. White supremacy is wrong. It is offensive and it deserves to be attacked on every level. It is immoral. It is unethical. And when we start to, you know, and I think that's why this group uses the idea of free speech. Well, everybody has the right to say whatever they want. No, I'm sorry. I don't really believe that. (laughs) And like that, that you even saw it with all that, you know, the Google memo, they've now adopted this guy and now, oh yeah, great. It's all, it's, you can say whatever you want about women and you can imply that women are genetically inferior to men and genetically different to men. Just like you can say openly and out in public, that there's something wrong with Mexicans and that they're violent rapists and that there's something wrong with black people and they don't belong here. And Black Lives Matter is the real problem. I, the photograph of the car running through the um crowd just left me so upset because you could see the black light. There was like a Black Lives Matter sign and a black man just coming over the top of the car and just shoes, just shoes all in the the, the aftermath of this car where people had just literally been blown out of their own shoes. And you know, it's just whew, lots of soapboxes today. Sorry. Here, here's what bothers me about attaching political correctness to this situation. I think these groups are absolutely doing what you said in terms of manipulating concepts like political correctness and free speech. But I don't think the average person should be willing to draw that line. Because when you're willing to draw that line and you're willing to say, I mean, tying this back to our last episode, if you're a person who's pissed off about affirmative action, okay, you're a, you're a, a whatever, a white guy in Missouri who feels like his opportunities are being limited because he doesn't fit into a protected class. If you take that and say, and therefore I can sympathize with someone who adopts the symbols of Nazism then you are complicit in Nazism. I'm sorry. That is not a straight line. One of our listeners asked on Twitter, what do we think about people who would object to the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue, but also condemn this, the neo-Nazi rally? I can make space for those people. I don't agree with them, 
But I also am not going to call them necessarily racist. I can say we have different opinions. I can say our history is complex and the line between acknowledging our history and celebrating it is a difficult one. And we can have that conversation all day. I'm not having a conversation with people who are just shy of a hood in the streets and in fact are almost worse because as you said, they're proud to harbor mm-hmm. these views. Like, I don't want to conflate these things. I don't want to give these people the language of free speech. I don't want to give them the language of political correctness. I don't want to give them the language of alt-right. That's not what they are. They are racist. They are homophobic. They are anti-Semitic. You know, they are misogynist. Like, I'm just ready to call all of this what it is and stop seeing people who claim to be absolutely none of those things kind of going, well, But I get where they started. No. Well, here's my concern, though. Here's my only concern with that. I totally understand the importance of saying the this is different. I get that. This is different. This this deserves a different, more extreme response. I did get that. But at the same time, here is my concern. What I don't want to happen is I don't want it to become, well, see, this is the, these people are the real problem. They are a problem. But one of my new favorite phrases is we can have racism without individual racist. And they are formed in the toxic sea of America's white supremacy. And just be, it's a spectrum, but we're all a part of this system. And what I don't want to happen is that this becomes, see, now we, we're going to put, bring down the hammer on the Nazis and the white supremacists, and we'll have fixed our problems with regards to race. Because I don't think that they spring forth fully formed. I think that these groups are fed on a culture that says we treat everyone equally, but dot, dot, dot. And I just, I think it's so easy for people to point the fingers and to say, look, see, look, these people, look how disgusting these people are in Charlottesville. They're not, I'm not like them. I condemn that. And of course, no, we're not like, you know, Nazi. Like I said, I can see both sides. Yes, they're different and they're extreme and they deserve a, they're domestic terrorist groups and they deserve to be treated like the extreme violent groups that they are. I agree with that. And I think that they didn't spring forth fully formed. And that they are a part of, you know, maybe I don't see a line, but I see us all swimming in the big giant lake of racism in America. And I just don't want us to think like we get rid of that and we fixed it because we haven't. And, you know, it's like we're going to have the same problem wearing a different pair of pants or carrying a different nasty sign. You know what I mean? It's a lot of ands. I feel this way on on a really different level. I feel this way about... Implicit bias training, which is the obsession in corporate America right now. And I think it's a good thing, and I don't mean to disparage it in any way. However, I've listened now to a lot of people talk about implicit bias. And some of those people, all of whom are doing some important work, but some of those people talk about it as this really interesting intellectual exercise. Gosh, look at what my brain does. I'm not even aware of how I'm seeing this. You know, look at how my brain's tricking me. And I always sense in that an abdication of personal responsibility. Right. Yeah. And there was a really good conversation about this on Freakonomics. No, I think you're totally right. And, and I always sense in it 
that we are trying to solve matters of the heart with the head and just whatever our brains are doing, our brains also have the capacity to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And that's what most implicit bias is trying, training is trying to do, right? To say, first you recognize it, then you overcome it. But it's really easy to get stuck in just, well, like, gosh, my brain just did this. And it's really easy, I think, to say, well, gosh, like, all of America's racist. They didn't spring forth fully formed, which I agree with. But then it gets really easy to say, and, you know, these identity politics are out of control. And so what do you expect to happen? Like, mm-hmm. there is a point where there is a line to me that gets crossed in terms of, I mean, this is something that goes back to like Sunday school for me, you know, what, what is in you, what you think about is not the problem. It's what you choose to do with that and where you take it. You know, the person who drove his car into that crowd went to high school where my children will go to high school. Wow. Grew up 10 miles from where I live. It is gut-wrenching to think about. And one of the students who went to high school with him in this community wrote a really beautiful blog post about how he remembers this guy, but not really. Doesn't Mm. remember a single conversation with him. And this student was saying, that's the problem. You know, I think back, we all just are walking past each other. I I thought his mother's comment was so heartbreaking. Did you hear her her comment to the press. Mm-mm. Somebody called her and she was like, I thought he was going to a Trump rally and Trump's not a white supremacist. That was her quote. I did hear that. Yeah. And I, I was like, that. and I just, my heart broke for her because she thought, you know, she thought she understood. And that must be such a heartbreaking situation to be in as a mother. And I just, it was so sad. You could hear the heartbreak in her voice. So what, so with your regards to implicit bias, what do we think about Trump's response? I, I struggle with the Trump is a secret white supremacist situation. And because of his comment, because I can't decide, I think where I come down is Trump is racist. He cares sort of about black people, but really he's so craven. And I do think maybe Steve Bannon and them have gotten in his ear and said, don't piss off this group of people. What do you think? Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. 
Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think it is, I don't know what is in his heart and I don't know what truly motivates him other than amassing power for himself. I think it is impossible to look at the statement that he issued and see anything other than remarkable influence of white nationalists in his inner circle. Right. I loved this from uh, Jelani Cobb in The New Yorker. He wrote a fabulous piece called The Battle of Charlottesville. And he said, in his latest comments, Trump spoke in platitudes. He was a man looking for gray areas where there were none. Nuance is anathema to his thinking, which is why he can maintain such fidelity to his ideas in 140 character bursts. Thus, the needless nuance and imprecision of his comments about Charlottesville smelled of avoidance. So true. Well, and I just think that with, you know, as with everything with him, you can always, it's always abundantly clear to me that Donald Trump does not see himself as a servant of the American people. And I realize that is a vast understatement, but he just never rises to the occasion of being president. I just don't think he's capable of it. He never sees like, okay, now this is not, this isn't about me. It's always about him. And so he can never take that step that almost every president, even Nixon was capable of doing, just like sort of rising above and understanding that people need a leader for every single American, not just the ones that voted for you, not just the ones that think you're right and the press is mean and picks on you all the time, but every single American. And I just don't think he's capable of that. 
I said this on Twitter. If you can't muster a good speech and moral certitude in the face of literal Nazis, you don't have it. You can't do this job. You just can't be the president of the United States. You cannot. I mean, the fact that he opened. So he devoted a whole three minutes to this. And he opens with, not my fault. This has been around forever. And that is just not leadership, yeah. you know? It, and, and then he goes into, the economy's doing so well. Let me tell you how great I am. I mean, that was his speech. Not my fault. I'm amazing. The two sides to this conflict are equal. We're going to study this. Uh that was the speech. Well, and I think your focus on that was so good because I feel like everybody just got so caught up in that he didn't use the word, like he didn't call out the white supremacists specifically. And I think that's going to get twisted by the other side and say, see, they're just plain wordsmith, blah, 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 blah. Whereas what you really should have said, although, again, the Republican, elected Republican leaders, I think, did a good job of being like, nope. But I, you know, I think that when I think that your focus on. Let's look at this. Even if he'd used that word, the speech was still off. Like, even if he'd said the white supremacists are, you know, that's that's to be condemned, which he came out later and said sort of under an undisclosed White House. Per- Why didn't they put a name on it? So weird. Anyway, it was so weird. Um, Just but like, you're right. I mean, there's he missed the point completely. Even if he'd used the words people wanted him to spit, said, called out this group specifically by name. He still missed the point. His speech was. The personification of selfishness. That's mm. all it was. Mm-hmm. And that's all he is. I think that's all he's capable of. So, again, in conclusion, <laughs> as to my opening of the show, Robert Mueller, work faster. Hire more lawyers, work faster. There's a conversation going on right now about what white people should do. Mm. And I'm curious, Sarah, on your thoughts about that. Um. I think that white people should call out racism in any way, shape, and form they can. I think that if they're, my town has an amazing group called the Race Unity Group where people meet, get together of different skin colors and different backgrounds and they talk and they meet each other. I think that is the most amazingly positive thing you can do. I think that it is wildly important for people to educate themselves on the system of racism and the systematic exclusion of African-Americans and black and brown people from um, our systems of influence and systems of power and systems of wealth. And just to, you know, whatever your sort of gut instinct is to be like, not me, that's not it. You're all wrong. Like, I hope that this was a wake up call to everyone that not again, not don't just just don't blow this off as like outliers. Like we have something going on in our country. And it's I guess that if I could just, you know, implant one thought into every white person in America's head, it's that that quote, we could remove every individual racist and still have racism. And I wish everybody would sort of ponder on that and just do whatever you can. I don't know. It's a lot of pressure to say what white people should do. It's, I know every poor black person in every class I've ever been in there is like, well, hello, one black person. Please tell us how you feel about this. I think that so many white people want to dismiss this as a really small number of people. Yep. And a thing that I don't know exactly what to say about, and I'm not racist, so I'm going to keep living my life. And I have 
total empathy for that position. It's where I've been a lot of my life. And the more time that I spend with people who are not white or people who are gay or people who have any kind of life experience that differs from mine exactly, I come to understand how meaningful it is when we say something. Yeah. Even if it is just a tweet or a sentence on Facebook or a sentence in a meeting or a, hey, I'm thinking about you today. I think it means something. Well, and that we need to do that. Even and when it's I, uncomfortable. The thing is, like, it's not just about, you know, systems of power change because the powerful say, we're not going to do this anymore. And in our country, the system of race is that the white people have the power. So, you know, in a racist culture, the Pete, you cannot, it's not fair or right, or even probably effective to put all the, the pressure on speaking out against racism on black people and brown people. That's not fair. And it's not right. And it has to be people, you know, one of the most powerful things I heard during all the Michael Brown thing is somebody said, you know, you ha- we need you to use your white bodies to put us in between these situations and to say, no more, we're not going to do this anymore. I mean, we have to speak out and we have to sort of use our privilege. I know nobody likes that word, but we have to use our white privilege um, as a soapbox or as an amplifier or whatever or however you want to say it to illustrate and to say, yeah, no, this is no more. We're not going to do this anymore. Well, before we wrap this up, we should say um, how horrific this whole situation was and even more so that three people died because of it. Heather Heyer, Lieutenant H.J. Cullen, and Trooper Pilot Burke M.M. Bates um, all lost their lives and our heartfelt thoughts and prayers to their families and friends and, and all of us. So let's do a complete about face. What are you thinking about besides politics this week, Beth? Did you listen to the daily about Weight Watchers? Yes, I listened to it. I take almost. In fact, I think I picked up my phone and one of my kids distracted me. But like, I wanted to text you immediately and be like, "Did you listen to this? It was so interesting." I don't know how to feel about it. I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was a really honest conversation. Yeah, and that's I, liked I love that. It. Yeah, I'm all about like let's just be real. And I. Um, I did read some of the, there was a really good sort of history or reflection on Weight Watchers I read recently about the founder and this woman's sort of journey through Weight Watchers. And I, of course, I love, um, all things Oprah. In fact, that might be what I'm thinking about this week because Super Soul Sundays has come to podcast form and it's making my life and I'm listening to all of them. So I'm like in a deep Oprah space right now. So that part of the conversation appealed to me that, that just Oprah being like, look, like, I, and I get what she's saying. Like, yeah, I would love to just march through life and make healthy choices and never think about food again. But one thing I think that that is what they sort of didn't talk about is that's completely unrealistic in our culture. When that's putting, you know, up, you up against advertisers and, you know, friends and family and all these people everywhere who are telling you all the, you know, all these messages to eat unhealthy and eat this and eat this. It'll make you happy eat this. And so I kind of liked that they just owned like, no, I'm better when I'm saying I'm on a diet and this is the way I'm eating. And like, you know, I'm a big believer in Michael Pollan who says just eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Let's not make this too complicated. And like, I get that and I get the appeal of that. And I totally get the appeal of what they were saying as well. I think it can just all exist. Yeah. I, I wish that we could just be about bodies the way we are about lots of things. 
Um, I've, I also read this article from the Federalist that was not worth anyone's time to read um, <laughs> about tattoos. And it was this guy just on a rant about tattoos and how America has gone ink crazy. And if you read it carefully, as I did, because I couldn't believe what I was reading and thought, I have to be missing something. Then you started to see a lot of, I saw this woman who was really otherwise very attractive, but she kind of ruined my schoolgirl image of her with this thing on her neck. Oh, shut up. I hated it. Hated, hated, hated the article. But I started thinking about where I am on like tattoos and piercings and stuff. I don't need to have an opinion about that because it's just none of my business. And that's how I feel about people's weight and or their level of muscularity or whatever. Like you do you. I'm just not invested in how anybody else eats. And I think that the health at every size movement has been a really important movement forward. I think that it does not equal we're going to be critical of anyone who tries to control what they eat. You know, I I think we just need to kind of let go of clinging to our ideas about all of this and just make decisions that work for us at different moments in our lives. I mean, I think that's awesome. I just don't think I think that's so hard in our culture because our culture sends messages about those things in such powerful ways all the time. And I guess that's what I enjoyed about this piece is that it was sort of pushing back against this. Let you know, dieting's not cool. We don't need to diet anymore. That's bad. And just gave space to people being like, no, you know what? I like, you know, dieting works for me. And I like the idea of a diet in which I'm in control of what I'm eating. And I'm thinking carefully about what I'm eating. And that's what I need to do. And I guess that's what I liked about it is that you can feel now that it's like, you know, I did the whole 30 and they're super superior and ridiculous like about dieting you can't diet diet's bad for you You can't diet and like i just kind of enjoyed this about this sort of pushback and the against the cultural message like not all of us coexist inside of whole foods all the time you know sometimes you're in spaces where you need um you know something to cling to and say no i'm not gonna have that pizza that everybody's handing out for free because i'm on a diet and i think that should be okay too we shouldn't pass out judgment because people want to diet no, and if someone wants the pizza, they should just eat it and be happy eating it. Because I think there's nothing worse than being around people who have a sense of guilt about food and who spread that sense of guilt around. It's so like, hard, though. Here's my struggle with that, though. With not, I'm not saying we should guilt people because of what they eat. I'm just saying my own personal guilt about food is like, I just thought as I got older, like my body would be like tougher. And I could like sort of eat more crappy and I just be wise and like I just be able to eat that pizza or whatever. And I'm old and I can just roll through it. But no, man, my body is like revolting. And it's like the older I get, the more my body's like, don't even think about it. You will feel like crap for three days. Like I really am. I'm really upset. I thought aging would be different. I should have. People should be more honest that as you get older, or at least for me, your body is way more sensitive to the pizza. And I really love pizza. That's my struggle. Well, look, I've struggled with weight my entire life. I always will. I've struggled with pain my entire life. I always will. Having a baby was really good for me, even though my body hated pregnancy, despised it. I was sick every single day. I did not glow. I was green. <laughs> I did not glow. I was green. <laughs> but, you know, having having a baby, I realized for the first time, my body is awesome. It is awesome at this size. It is awesome at this stage. It is awesome with those aches and pains. 
this body is carrying me through life and it doesn't have to. It could just stop at any freaking minute and it chooses not to every single day. It chooses not to. And so do I owe it some care and attention? Absolutely. But I also owe it some appreciation and not loathing, you know, and, and not all of the things that have kind of culturally conspired to tell us that it's never enough. And so I think it's just, I, I completely agree with what you're saying and get what you're saying. And if it is important to you and it feels right to you and feels healthy to you to have whatever the strictest regimen around food possible, do it. And if that makes you insane and is actually an act of violence to your body to do it, don't. And everything in between is cool with me. And I wish we could just kind of get there. I wish, I think that my thing is like, I think part of my issue is like, I love, I don't really have a lot of, I was very lucky. My mom dieted the whole time I was growing up, but like, she never really did it in a body hatred way. Like I never heard her say like, I hate my thighs or I hate my butt or I'm so fat. Like she just never did that. And so I don't really have a lot of like conflict with my body. It served me very, very well. It's good body, like my body, but like, I don't like decisions. Like, I, there's a part of me that's like, I should master this and then not think about it anymore. And I just, ah, the, the thinking about the food is what exhausts me. Like, I just wish, you know, you could just get to some sort of plane in which everybody, I mean, I guess, but that, that's, that was the other part of that piece I liked is when they're like, if Oprah, who is like the queen of all things, can't get there, then maybe that's not a place we can get, you know, where we're just all making great decisions and we've sort of perfected our food choices. Maybe I just need to let go of that. I don't, it's not that I need to let go of my perfect, sort of hard expectations about my body. It's like, I need to let go of my perfect hard expectations about food choices. I also just don't like, like if I am with my husband, he is ordering for me. I don't like to order or pick or decide. Like I just want it to be there and I'm making good choices and I never have to put any energy or thought into it. This is clearly an expectation I need to let go of. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, as always, we have to thank our executive producers, my husband, Nicholas, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. You can follow us on social media on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Leave us a review on the Apple podcast app. And as always, keep it nuanced, y'all. 